This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners. Today's message is Reasoning with Stupidity, or another way you could say it, I believe, is how it's posted online as Reasoning with Your Flesh. Now, so we welcome each of our new listeners to our podcast. Reasoning with Stupidity, let's look at that that passage again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and then verses 8 and 9. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body, earthly body, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, the whole point here is God is wanting to reveal to us idolatry. He doesn't want to change you because you have evil desires. He doesn't want to change you because you have passion. He doesn't want to change you because of any particular sin. He wants to address the issue of idolatry. Anytime you have an expectation in a human, you are setting up for idolatry. Anytime you have an expectation being fulfilled because of Christ Jesus, it's because he is God. God's fulfill appointments. People fail in fulfilling appointments. This appointment. It's missing your appointment. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practice. When you are smiling to someone and you have got anger, wrath, or malice, or slander in your mind, whatever, you are the worst representative of Christ that there is. Hypocrisy is the only group that Jesus addressed aggressively. Call them brood of vipers. Call them all kinds of things. That group he was not real gentle with. For good reason. Because they smile and they wear the nice robes and they're very gracious and whatever, but they reach down and grab one of those arrows with wrath on it or whatever, and as they're hugging, they put the flesh, the weapon of the enemy, into your back. Back stabbing. They're very difficult people to deal with in life. We all know that. And God has given us warnings saying how to deal with particular people who, who function like Very clear direction. And we're going to be talking about that today. Fruitless relationships. Back to our question. Have you ever tried to reason with stupidity? Have you ever tried to reason with someone who knows the right thing to do but therefore refuses to do it? As the old adage goes, stupid is as stupid does. Well, that's exactly what it is. You see, when you are actually doing the very thing that you hate, and it's no longer you who's doing it, but it is sin within you that is doing it, that is an identity statement that we need to understand. Paul was classified as being irresponsible by many people, even to this very day, when he said that. 
Now, can you imagine a teacher of Paul's capacity saying, well, it wasn't really me that did it. It was sin that did it within me. It sounds like a cop-out. sounds like an excuse. That was not what Paul was communicating. He was separating his identity in Christ from his old identity in the flesh. And sin does still reside in the mortal body, in every single cell of your body, to be honest with you, and that's why we have to be given a brand new body. So the passage saying your earthly body is a significant identity statement. What is a fruitless discussion? Well, it kind of goes with the word fruitless. Now, here's, here's how silly it is to me. It's like walking up to that barren tree and going, Why aren't you bearing fruit? What's wrong with you? You got roots, you got a trunk, you got you got branches, you got leaves. What's wrong with you? And you start confronting this tree and putting pressure on this tree to bear fruit. Well, <laughs> it's a barren tree. Jesus himself used the example four times. You see, you can't yell at a tree and expect it to bear fruit because you are yelling at the tree because you have some kind of righteous position to make this tree in front of you bear fruit. It's a fruitless discussion. You're the one that looks silly. So anyone who is listening and wherever you are, anytime you put pressure on a person to give you fruit when there's no fruit on their tree, you're the one who is out of line. It is Jesus Christ in you who is the sap that runs through those branches and in due time, if the tree is cared for by the body, will bear fruit. Oh, how we've messed the gospel up. Did you know that knowing the exchange life is not living it? Well, you know what? I've lived in the exchange life community for more years than I want to admit to. But I can count the number of years on one hand, maybe two hands, of that I really was living it out in a rich way. It comes and it goes. And it comes and it goes. The strongest of teachers need disciplers. The weakest of teachers need disciplers. Doesn't matter. It comes and it goes. But I will go to my grave preaching the exchange life. With it coming and with it going. Yeah, and a critical piece to understand is when Jesus and, and uh, even the Old Testament prophets use the illustration of, of a tree going through a season or, or um, you know, the very common analogy of the fig tree. Your whole life is one full, one four seasons being completed. You don't go through it over and over and over and over and over. There is one particular point in your life where you bear an enormous amount of fruit. The rest of the time is preparation or a dying process for the ultimate purpose of giving that fruit and putting it at the feet of Jesus. We have got things way mixed up. 
and we expect things out of ourselves that God himself does not. And we certainly are going to expect things out of other people because we expect those things out of ourselves. If the fruit's not in your life yet, relax. Walk in peace and faith until you begin to see the fruit in that area of your life. Here's what we have the tendency to do. These are just a few areas that I put down in regard to things that are in our lives. How we look, things we have, leisure time, marriage, job, health, location, money, children, and church. For those of you who have joined us on our podcast, this is diagram EI100, internal, external, 100. And here's what we do. Satan wants us to be into self-rule. He wants us to be the one changing our lives. You think Satan wants you to wear a black hood and uh, dress up like they do on Halloween and actively show the world that you are a Satanist? Wrong. He wants you to be like him. Perfect in knowledge. Perfect in beauty. Perfect in every way. Perfectionist. That's what he wants out of you. And he wants you to do the fix and repair, not Christ in you. So if you don't have very many things, but things prove that you are successful, you need to work a little harder. Turn that negative into a plus. If your marriage is a negative, you've got to go to some marriage conferences, you've got to memorize scriptures, you've got you to gotta learn how to do marital communication. It's doing, 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 doing to change the marriage into a plus. Meanwhile, we're making Christ jealous. That's out of James chapter 4, by the way. Job. You may be in a negative and you work and work and work, get three, four, five degrees, like I tried to do, get the best job possible, turn it into a plus. Why? Because when people see you in a successful position, they consider you a successful Christian. Wrong. Bad answer. Health. Negative. So you work and work and work, you exercise, you take your vitamins, you do whatever to make sure that your health maintains its maximum production. You see, we can go all the way around this circle. Now here is the unique thing about bringing someone to the end of themselves. God himself uses the external things to bring us to admitting that inside is where the big negative is. We need the things because we feel the negative on the inside. We need a positive marriage because we don't want people looking at us going, well, they're not very good Christians. And money, and success, health. One of the biggest movements in the world today, and I know I'm going to offend a few of our podcast listeners because I know... By research of our people on our list, many of them believe in prosperity doctrines. But I'm here to tell you that only works in certain countries that are prosperous. And the fact is, God is not into prosperity doctrine. God is actually into prosperity of the life of Christ as doctrine. So therefore, God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can admit to the fact that it's not about us looking good, or having a few things, or managing our leisure time, having a few fun things, it's not about this. 
He wants us to admit to really who is trying to be in charge. So what Christians, the first diagram I showed you, are unbelievers. They aren't even Christians. You see, there is no Christianity in this. This is how unsaved people have to survive every day. They got to go get degrees. They got to go to the gym. They got to spend $62 a month on vitamins. They have to get, and the list goes on and on and on. This is very expensive living for an unbeliever. What that does, and with strong self effort, self power, as they would consider, that crown can become polished to the world. It will give the appearance that being your own God has great success to it. But in the end, they will meet their maker. Everyone will. Satan himself is that person you just described. He doesn't need any of this stuff. He even said to Jesus, look, I'll give you a piece of the pie here if you just bow down and worship me here. Satan doesn't care for this stuff. This is stuff is in our world. The spirit world is a whole new level of uh, warfare and way of living. Does not involve any of these, in fact, in the spirit world. This is the Christian. The issue still being addressed here is who's in charge? Who's, who is doing the, the control? Who is managing the control center? So after a lot of Christians hear these great messages, you know, from the pulpit, unless the exchange life is actually taught and shown to the people how to live it out, it turns into this. They start reading their Bible a little more. They start inviting people into their home. They serve and they help each other. And they doing, 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 doing. And the emphasis is to show external changes in order to change your self-image problem. Or to show the world that you are an obedient Christian. These are the people that come in for discipleship. They're exhausted. They even get weary listening to message like this. And I know there's people listening right now that you are sighing because... This is heavy to you. This is what you do. It's how you live your life. You're just exhausted because of this is another strong message on doing and you're just tired. You're exhausted. And to that I say, praise God. Life is not about doing to be. It's about being, to do. And the only way that is going to happen is if the, to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified and to have that life living inside you and see the emphasis is no longer how your location affects you, how your no money affects you, how your no church affects you, <coughs> excuse me, how not having very many things affect you. The issue now is the life of Christ being poured out to those external points. So the fruit of the Spirit is a natural overflow of a release of the Spirit within the man. 
So when Satan comes along, which he will, and turn these into negatives, they have zero impact on you. I'm going to share the toughest one. This is just from my, my point of view. The toughest one is marriage and family. There is that verse that Jesus gave us that is rarely attended to. Rarely. I've never even met a Christian who, who enjoys reading it. I've had to read it several times to my own family members. Does anyone want to take a guess? Loves who? Is not, is not worthy of me. You see, we have a, a life principle that is out there that's not really producing much life, and that is family is more important than Christ and him crucified. So when it comes to the issue of acceptance and love and forgiveness within a family, that seems to take precedent because you hear this common saying, one of the most common sayings, I looked on the internet again to find out, and it was true, one of the most common sayings in America, and that is, family is really all you have in the end. Friends come and go, jobs come and go, money comes and goes, churches come and go. Your looks are definitely, they go. But when it's all said and done, what you have is your family. Well, I'll tell you what, some of our podcast listeners in the Muslim blocks know exactly what I am talking about. I carry your burden every day of my life. And that is you have to give up your family to serve Jesus Christ. And I admire your Christianity and I admire you being willing to live like this for the sake of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. America is bound by the lie of getting love and acceptance and forgiveness from humans, particularly family. And you will not sacrifice family for the life of Jesus Christ. And those of you who know me, I won't walk that road. I tried. And still got the same results after trying. I want to please Jesus Christ, my husband, who into up my body, who I'm going to spend eternity with as a bridal member forever and ever. But it doesn't mean I deal with these loosely. It means I deal with them as a steward. I steward them appropriately in Christ Jesus. I steward my marriage. And those of you who do know our marriage, I steward our marriage. I steward our family. I steward the job. I steward. But they are not to manage me. I'm not to get any love and acceptance from any of you. It's nice, I'll admit that. But I don't want it. He who puts you on a pedestal is the one who knocks you off. And that's why we put people on pedestals so we can judge them and knock them off. Jesus addressed this very particularly. Don't 
do it. We are all less than human, which is the true definition of humility, if you remember from the Hebrew. Little less than human. It's a great place to live, and the only way that we can let this live out is by certainly being a little less than Jesus Christ. That's to be expected, hopefully. But yet even less than yourself. Not I, but Christ. So when Satan comes along and turns these into negatives, of course they're going to hurt. The arrow's in your back. I need help getting this one out. I can't reach. Oh, the body's supposed to come along and bind up the brokenhearted. Set the captives free. They can't get to those, those arrows in the back, those stabbings in the back. So we don't ignore. We just don't let them control us. So now, as indwelt believers, we have no obligation to the flesh, that tendency of self-serving to which we have so often offered ourselves to do what it says. That is our passage out of Romans chapter 8. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you try to put one of these arrows and snap them on your own, you are trying to mortify the deeds of the flesh by your own flesh. Flesh can't break flesh. We're going to see something in the final battle and in our book of Revelation series. We're going to be talking a lot about these two big wars that are coming up. But I'm telling you what, we're going to see some warfare going on that will literally blow our minds. And why the sword of the Spirit is the only weapon of our warfare. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's wrong. That is a bad adage. It is words that will break the backbones of the enemy. The word of God. It is not your flesh. It is not, I'm dead to this, I'm dead to this. I can have my devotions this morning. I gotta, I gotta sing my song. I gotta, you're just, you're just using external things to make you feel better like it's some kind of an aspirin. I don't need to feel better in my Christianity. My body is mortifying daily for a purpose. So I can switch to daily living life and get excited about the life of Christ coming through me and mortifying my deeds of the flesh. And that is, uh, the deeds of the flesh are to be mortified. That is our passage that we read earlier out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and again, verses 8 and 9. Number 5 bullet on this particular slide is this mandate cannot be appropriated appropriated unless one understands experientially their identity in Christ. It is impossible to even understand this truth unless we are seated at the right hand of God. 
Many of you know my favorite passage in the Bible for ministry is when Paul was addressing the Corinths. And he was telling them about he does not have the ability to search the mind of man. Only the Spirit of God has the power to search the mind of man. Then he talks about then freely given to us through spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. I want to preach. I want to counsel. counsel I want to teach in the Spirit doing the revelation through me to do the work and have nothing to do with Steve Finney. In doing that, what is going to happen is I am functioning from my position of being seated at the right hand of God. Now someone tell me, or tell our listeners, when do I get to be seated at the right hand of God? Right now. We're not talking positional truths here. We are talking conditional truths. If you are functioning as if you're on the cross, you're going to get stuck in an old woe is me mentality. Oh, God. Why have you forsaken me? Look at all the traitors. That's staying on the cross. There's a certain religion that keeps Christ on the cross. Wrong. Or there's some people who like living in the tomb. These are what the world is classified under a psychological label of depression. They're in the tomb. It's dark. They pull the shades down. And it's just like, oh, it's so dark in my life. I believe in Jesus. It's just dark. I cannot tell you how many discussions I've had with medically oriented Christians that say it is a chemical imbalance. Oh yeah, you're hopeless. You have to go go live in your tomb. i got to move on here. No. Wrong. Then there are those who make decisions from the right hand of the Most High. This is the lifestyle I'm talking about. And we have to be discipled into functioning this way. Number six, <clears throat> this mandate cannot be appropriate unless one understands experientially the, the identity in Christ. It is impossible to even understand this truth unless you are seated at the right end of God. Let's take a look at this diagram. You were born in Adam because Adam sinned, you sinned. Someone please explain to our listeners right now how come sin was not inside Jesus' body when he was born of an earthly woman. Because she was the mother of God, the queen of heaven. The sin travels through the father. The sin travels through the seed. It does not travel through blood. God literally designed the woman's body in order to keep the blood separate from the baby's blood. This is all proven in science. This is no big deal to a lot of you science-oriented people. This is what we classify as a duh. DNA, structure of DNA, is established through the seed. So because Adam sinned, sin became a part of his DNA, his seed. When he uh, conceived Cain and Abel, the sin that they committed is now being recommitted on human trees, human lives. And there was jealousy going on, you know the story. The old spear in the back thing. You're my brother. <clears throat> and he dies. 
very first relationship out of the chute. Because Adam sinned, so did his sons and daughters and so forth and so on till my daddy and then me and then there is this decision point. Do I go to hell and can't go past go or collect my 200 bucks? Or do I go to heaven forever and ever? I need to be transferred, translated into eternal life. goes forever this way and forever that way. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 16 years of age, I was transferred over into the kingdom of light, which is the eternal life, which is the life of Christ. Therefore, what happened on the cross becomes relevant to me. Therefore, being buried with him becomes relevant to me. Therefore, being resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Most High becomes relevant and positional and conditional truth for me. I can function as if I am still an Adam. That takes a really deceived Christian. Majorly deceived Christian. These people believe you can lose your salvation daily. Or I can function as if I'm still on the cross. Or I can function in the tomb. Or I can function being seated at the right hand of the Most High. I would prefer to function from the right hand of the Most High. So that's why I have to appropriate what is true because I don't physically with my eyes get to see myself being positioned not as an audience looking at the throne of God, which is how most artists paint this scene in the book of Revelation. We're watching. Wrong. The bride is seated at the right hand of the groom, which is where wives are supposed to be. Then who's watching? Well, that's what our series is going to be revealing. Positionally and conditionally, what really is going on right now? That's what usually gets people excited in listening to messages. This is who we are right now, if you've had a born-again experience. Seven, what actually are these deeds of the body? Well, right here from the scriptures. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desires, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuses, speech, and lying, every sin under the face of the earth comes from this list. Just as every fruit of Jesus Christ and him crucified comes from the fruit of the Spirit. Every one, every righteous deed falls under one of those grapes. Every deed of darkness falls under one of these grapes or raisins. Number eight, we are told to put these to death. Yet without question, these are the very things that we work and work and work and work not to do. We go attend 12-step groups. We go read books. We go get medicines. We do all kinds of things to get these behaviors under control. 
the most diagnostic damage done to the mortal body here on earth of the body of Christ is to call sin a medical problem. And I can go down the list if you want me to. I used to be in that field. Both Jane and I, you know, went, we became basic pharmacologists, certified basic pharmacology. We learned the whole thing about medicine. I thought I was going to be an endocrinologist at one time. And that, I thought this, this, there's really a lot of truth to this. I sat on that team coming up with the label of ADHD, not ADHD, but ADD, and realized the lies that were being formed under my own eyes. Stuff that was not true. Self-diagnosis. Diagnoses that teachers put check little check boxes. All for the sake of not calling sin, sin. It's a technique that is destroying the church. So what do we do? We set up these, these meaningful detours. And these meaningful detours can be anything. You can... Read more, study more, go get counseling. You can do a lot of things to avoid coming to the end of yourself. So it actually makes us feel better for a little while. We start coping better. We start performing better as Christians. Because someone has helped us with our attitude about life. Instead of about the life. So God has got to turn and bend it downward again. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves and agree with co-crucifixion so that we can allow and release the Holy Spirit within us to produce fruit. In spite of this stuff. When we try to curb, control, or eradicate any deed of the flesh, we are certain to end in a pile of ashes, just like Job did. There's a verse in the last chapter of Job that has struck me to the core many, many times. And after all of what Job had to go through, you probably have wept over the book if you've studied it. I have wept through it a lot as I had to go through certain things in my life, and a lot of it I didn't understand, a lot of it God granted great understanding, but when I got to this verse, it all really came together for me. And Job said this, Before I heard thee by the hearing of my ear, today I see you. Therefore, I repent from dust to ashes. Half of the book is told by Job sitting in a pile of ashes. It's Hebrew custom when you're being broken to sit in ashes. You see, the whole point is for Job to go this isn't, this isn't about me. His friends tried to make it about him. 
tried to counsel him about all kinds of weird stuff. You know, there's obviously sin in your life, blah, 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 blah. There were just chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of these friends pounding a bunch of nonsense into Job's head, but he stood his ground on not being God or in control of anything. And then he finally said, I repent from dust, birth to ashes, death. Four verses later, what do we find? Job is blessed three times. Wealth, all those external things that turned into negatives, even his own wife said, curse God and be done with this. Done. Everyone turned on him. But what resulted out of the whole thing is she and him were blessed with wonderful children, an enormous amount of prosperity because of the ashes, the death. The secret is really not so much of a secret, but it is to receive the life of Jesus Christ into your mortal bodies. For those of you who are listening, that is becoming born again, repenting of your sins, accepting Jesus Christ as your life inside your mortal body as you repent in order for him to remove these deeds by way of overflow of this life. You cannot change your sin, but your sin will change you. If you're like me, it really sounds too good to be true, but by faith it is to be accepted, and by faith it is what's appropriated through the efforts of Christ's life, through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Feeding off our flesh, the old man, it says in Romans 6.6, 6, loved and lived off the deeds of the, of the flesh. Now that we have become indwelt and born again, we are to feed off of the new life within us. The old man is, is uh, in the tomb and will stay in the tomb, by the way. And in God's reality, it is as truthful and completely crucified with Christ as Christ was crucified himself. Whatever happened in the tomb is between God and Jesus, in the enemy, and whatever took place in that tomb, those three days, took place to my flesh too. And I don't want to know about it. It's too much for me to bear. It's even too much for me to think about what happened in that tomb. Him descending to the lower parts and dragging my old man with him, it's too much for me to think about. But I know what happened. And then appealing to our flesh due to this victorious position in Christ, sin should be as alien to our new nature as it is to that of the resurrected life of Christ himself. What sin does appeal to is our flesh. That's the trash left behind by the self-seeking old nature, which is in every cell of our mortal bodies. This is why a new body has to be given to us after we die, and uh, whatever that moment is when God gives us all our new, preserved, holy bodies. So, this is what I'd like for all of our listeners to consider, these questions. Number one, what do you as an indwell believer find overcoming and uh, defeating you? Number two, have you been led to believe that because you fail, this is 
This is the continual and inevitable lot to which all believers are subject. Three, what does mortifying or reckoning dead the deeds of the body mean to you? Four, what is your understanding of the Holy Spirit's function bringing this about? And what is your part in all of this? Five, what has been your experience of continuous, steady victory? And then six, is victorious living in Christ Jesus what you deeply long for? So those of you who are listening from afar, please keep in mind that our series for 2013 is going to answer these questions. And we're going to give you as much biblical truth to set you free from anything that is overcoming you and defeating you as an indwelt believer in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and we want to praise you for the blessed privilege to receive your truth. And Father God, if there is anyone listening anywhere in the world today, it could be someone who is listening in their living room and they are weeping right now. They have, they have, they've caught it. The Spirit of the Lord has revealed the truth of identity to them. I pray that you would reach into their hearts, Father. You would reach into their minds and renew their minds with the truth. Father, for those who are listening who are angry and they are fighting this, and they're tired of hearing victorious messages but not having the proof thereof, please reveal to them, first, whether they are truly an indwell believer. Secondly, what it is in their life that's blocking them from receiving the truth. And Father, I pray that this truth would set us all free. I pray that the life of Jesus Christ is what would be manifested in our lives. And Jesus, you know, we only pray in the name the blessed holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.